Hi, I am Tingan, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to Season 1, where we interview mums who are technology company leaders based in Southeast Asia. We want to hear stories, hopes, challenges, and tips from mums who are raising kids while pursuing their career aspirations. To conclude this season, I thought there is no better person to speak to than my wife, Gladys. In this season finale, we talk about what the past year has been like as parents, how her childhood years shaped the views on parenting, and what money means to us as parents and to our children. Gladys is a mum in tech. She works in client services at the trade desk, an advertising tech company. Together with me, we are proud parents of a 15-month-old Gabriel. Hi Gladys, welcome to the Parents in Tech Show. To begin with, can you tell me a bit more about your family? Hi, I'm Gladys and I work in a client servicing role at the Trade Desk. And a fun fact is I am your wife and <laughs> my husband, you, works in venture capital. And we have a wonderful, very mischievous, naughty, 14-month-old girl. We do. So I thought, what better way to end the first season of Parents in Tech than to interview my wife, who is also a mom or a parent in tech. So Gladys, can you tell us, how would you explain your job to Gabby? I think it's really hard to explain my job to anyone, to be honest, including you, since no one really understands what I do. It took me a while. I think you still don't. But anyway, I think it will only work when Gabby is a bit older and she's able to see advertisements on the internet. So what I will tell her is mommy helps um, her clients to place and run those ads across the internet and maybe show her some examples of how that looks like. Now, the past year has been quite a roller coaster ride for us, right? Welcoming Gabby to the world, figuring out this whole parenting journey. So maybe tell me what was one of the most memorable moments you had in the past year. Okay, I think there's like a lot, a lot of memorable moments. But if I think about something that really struck me the most, I think it was the night where we came back from the hospital. So I remember back then it was like 10pm and we weren't really prepared as first-time parents. So we were trying to feed Gabby and put her to sleep when we realised that she's really hungry. And I think like back then I, I wasn't producing enough milk for her. So she was just crying, crying nonstop. And unprepared parents as we were, we did not have any milk formula at home at all. So I remember that you had to run out at 10 plus PM, which was actually already past your wait time to go to the nearby supermarket to get the formula. Yeah, and I think that was just really stressful because we weren't used to having a crying baby at home in the first place. It was the very first night. And one that was crying nonstop and we didn't know what to do. And just, it was just a really stressful situation. Yeah, I just remember how unprepared we were in general, right? That day we came back from the hospital, we had our confinement nanny. I remember we had no pots, no pans, <laughs> no cooking oil, no salt. Like the <laughs> basics of what you need to cook. I remember heading out and just spending like a couple hundred dollars just trying to get all these basic household gear in place. And uh, like you said, I thought that one visit to NTUC in the evening would have been sufficient, but uh, it turned out that I had to go again. But it was stressful. It was probably one of the most tiring days in my memory and uh, interesting that, that you brought it up. Now, as I think about it, I'm <laughs> getting a little uh, scared and uh, I'm glad we are past that. So glad this, right? Since then, what is perhaps one thing you have learned about being a parent? 
it's so hard to really say it's one thing. I think it's got to be that mothers really need to learn how to juggle everything. Yeah, and I think before I became a mother, I never really knew what it was like and what being a parent looked like. Yeah, especially now as I'm back at work for almost a year already. Well, it's like my life has totally changed. My life is pretty much just thinking about uh, work and the rest of the time thinking about how I can take care of Gabby. And I think that is it's, it's a really big change in lifestyle almost. And, and I feel there is very little time for myself. I think that's a good point. The time for yourself and just being a juggling everything. So maybe let's dial a bit back to before you were a mum. What did your schedule look like? And how has that changed? Oh, it's changed too much. I would say almost all the time I have outside work has pretty much changed. So in the past, my typical, okay, let's say pre-COVID, right? Well, I typically go to work at around 9, stay in office typically until about 7. And then most of the time, at least two, three times a week, uh, that will involve a gym run. I love going to the gym and it's been something that I've been really active in since I was a teenager. So exercise is just something that I used to distress and, and part of enjoyment as well. So yeah, that's how we typically look like. And then I'll, I'll have dinner with you, I guess, and all my family. <laughs> and my free time, yeah, I guess, watching shows. I'm quite a binge watcher, as you would know. So yeah, maybe some free time I'll use to read books, play games, like board games with my sisters and all. So that's how it looked. And now, okay, well, I still try really hard to keep up with my exercise routine. But honestly, now if I do two times or three times, it's really, really a bonus. And my stamina has really gone down a lot. But I guess I have to accept that that's, that's a new me and embrace it and just do the best I can in that aspect. Uh, well, after work, it's, it's pretty much just caregiving duties almost. Yeah, so after work, now it's pretty much just spending time with Gabby. If I finish work a bit earlier, like we'll try to bring her down for a walk. But that doesn't happen as much as we want to because work catches up on us. Yeah, if you ask me what, what are my hobbies right now, I don't really know if I have time for any hobbies. <laughs> we used to go to the gym together and, and for a period when I was uh, doing that freelance group exercise uh, teaching, you, you would be my number one fan, always there. But I guess at the same time with me to, to prepare for the class. But even also attending different kinds of classes, going to the gym together and doing that at our own flexibility. But now... Mm. With a daughter, there's a lot more considerations that we have. I remember the last class we went together, which is just about two weeks back, a spin class. We had to make plans to make sure that our daughter is taken care of while we are there. So while it does sound like a big part of your life has changed, Gladys, I'm also curious to how, what you think is most rewarding or satisfying from this whole experience. And hopefully there is some. <laughs> oh, definitely. That's a lot. Yeah, like, I remember a few friends asked me that question, like, how is it like going back to work? Like, how is it being a mom almost? Because I think among my friends, I'm probably the youngest one. I think we are, we are the youngest, right? So maybe the whole concept of parenting in our age group is still quite foreign. I think something that's really rewarding is just seeing all the milestones. Yeah, and honestly, I wouldn't give up anything to see Gabby go through all the milestones. Like, from her first flip to her first crawl. And she used to do this, what do we call it? Mud slipper crawl. Yeah, and then like, she passes all these milestones so fast. It's like, when we're just like, oh my god, so cute, mud skipper crawl. And then like, in the next week, it changes. Like, it's gone. 
yeah, and now she's just running around. We don't see her crawl anymore. So I think it's really all these small moments and just experiencing it with her and going through that together. Because uh, these are all the things that you won't be able to reverse the clock. You can't stop the clock and, and revisit those moments again once they are past, they are past. So I think I, I'm just really grateful that I mean, this whole work-from-home situation allowed me to go through more of these moments with her. Yeah, and I think like I was sharing in a, in a previous episode, I think this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity where we get to grow up with our kids because of this whole COVID situation, the work-from-home. And these small moments, like for me, they feel like happiness on tap. Whenever there's something that's tough at work or just anything, I'm just able to walk over, pick Gabby up, hug her, and it's like all the all the endorphins and all the feel-good feelings come in. So truly, I think being a parent, it's sometimes the most tiring, the most challenging, but also one of the most rewarding things. So Gladys, maybe I want to dial back a bit because when I first asked you about your most memorable moment, you did share a bit of challenges and stress around breastfeeding. And that was something, of course, both of us went through. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that because right now there's a lot of literature, there's a lot of marketing, there's a lot of talks in parent groups that breastfeeding is number one, you got to do it for your kid at least six months. Maybe tell us what your journey was like and now that you kind of recently stopped and concluded it, what do you feel about this whole topic? I think, honestly, I feel like breastfeeding, it was a bit overly marketed in my opinion. Mm. So from the moment Gabby was born, I think the hospital that we were at really advocated breastfeeding. And I think that it's quite the, the standard in Singapore and I think in a lot of countries as well. Many many of these healthcare organizations recommend breastfeeding up to one or two years old at least. Breastfeeding, it's a very nice experience. I mean, as a mother, to be able to provide that nutrition and to be your baby's source of food, it's definitely something that, that there's a bond involved and that kind of closeness there. But I think that sometimes it overly stresses moms out. So I'm not the only one. I think... Like, there were a couple of um, friends that I had who asked me, like, oh, what was it like breastfeeding? Or, like, how often do you have to pump? Everyone knows that it's quite a, a tormenting journey almost. Every time I go into office, it's almost like I'm bringing a luggage back to work. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of logistics involved, just planning. It's like, you know, when you're going to school, you need to pack your school bag and make sure that you don't miss anything out. If not, it's just like, oh, man, that's bad. Yeah, so it's a tough journey. But I think that ultimately, I would say for moms, do whatever you're comfortable with. Don't be overly stressed out about being that sole source of nutrition. If you need to use formula, do it. Weigh the pros and cons. If you think it's going to take a toll on your mental well-being and you cannot deal with it, then just mix it up. One thing that at least I learned after leaving the hospital was you can actually ask the nurses to give your infant formula milk to give you the much needed rest. So I remember when we when we were at the hospital, when you were recovering, just delivered Gabby. Every three hours, the nurses will push oh, that, uh, Gabby. That was traumatizing. Yeah, and it's like we didn't know better, right? And it's like all the nurses give this impression that, you know, oh, you have to do it. Uh, and it was like, what, 45 minutes at least each time. And it was just so tiring. So I, I really echoed the advice to to do what works for you. Now, I'm going to ask this question, and it's a high-risk question, but I would uh, tell my producer not to edit it away. But what do you wish your husband understood about your role as a mum and your career ambitions? Okay, maybe not you, but I think in general, a lot of husbands expect moms to 
be willing to take a step back after giving birth. And I think that applies to some, but does not apply to some. Yeah, and I think personally for me, or well, I mean, we did talk about it, right? Like how motherhood comes into play and weaves into our career ambitions. Yeah, and I think that moms have that added pressure sometimes that dads don't feel. Yeah, because we have the innate pressure to still want to do well at work, at least for me, and yet have another job outside of that, which is being a mom. So it doesn't mean that me spending more time at home or mom spending more time at home means that we are willing to to give up our career. Yeah, and sometimes it's just really hard because it's a balancing game and how do we try our best to balance it? Because I think a lot of us still want it all, right? Like we still want to excel in our career. Yes, we want to spend time for our child. But if you ask us, are we really willing to give up our career ambitions for our child? I don't know that that's an easy question to answer. So what do you think dads should do more of, less of, given what you have learned? And I guess that also applies to me. So I'm taking advice from you now. Well, I think we talked about it. So I think it's definitely just balancing out our ambitions. And I think as parents, if we want to both be involved, then there is always a season for each of us. So yeah, I think like for us, Obviously, like, you just changed your job, so it requires more attention and you you do need to spend more hours on that job to just, you know, build up your career. So I think, like, as a couple, we just need to learn to understand and to accommodate each other's seasons. So now it may be yours, but maybe next time when I decide that, okay, there is, like, a really exciting opportunity that I want to go for that will involve, you know, me maybe taking a step up or having less time to spend with the kid, then that's maybe when the husband needs to take a step back and just acknowledge that, okay, this is the wife's time because a husband and a wife should work in partnership, right? We have to think about how we can make our family work and still be able to pursue our ambitions at at different seasons. Just hearing you say that makes me reflect on how, at least for myself in the past year, I think there have been many times where It's taking things for granted and making certain assumptions without even talking about them. So, for example, the one thing that actually inspired me to start this podcast, it's the realization of how I always felt like I wanted to be an active dad, active parent. But there were certain assumptions and certain behaviors that I did that just showed that it wasn't really the case. So the the case in point is for some of our audience who are listening, we only have help in office hours from about 9 to 5. And always the tough period, it's between 5 to 7 p.m. when we don't have help, work is still on, and someone needs to take care of our daughter. I realized the de facto norm would be you, Gladys, who takes care. And I kind of, more often than not, Jessica will go into the room and and, and do my work, right? And, And assume that she would be well taken care of. So I think that's something that on reflection, I realized I take for granted that just because you want to spend time with her, with Gabby, doesn't mean that... I can totally be hands-off about that. But I think I'm glad to have the realization. I'm glad that we also had those conversations. And if anything, I've learned from the, the 10 plus episodes I've done, it's truly about conversations and communication. So if let's say today you're sitting next to a leading expert in parenting for whatever topic, what would you ask him or her? The thing that comes to mind is how do we raise a secure kid? Mm, secure. Okay, tell me more. 
we, we did talk about that book before, right? Remember mm. we saw that book about raising a kid in a secure environment. I think, especially in Singapore, there is a lot of pressure, especially in the childhood years. You know, the default is that children go through this really strict regime of education. I think that's changing now, definitely. But I think there's that still kind of mindset. You know, there's always that tiger Singaporean mom or dad label that people tend to slap on us. And I think a lot of that security of the kid comes from how well he or she performs at school. So both our parents are so different. You definitely came out from that tiger parent environment, but my parents are more chill. Yeah, so how do we make our child feel that their self-worth is not tied to their capabilities, whether it's at work or at school? Because I think it's so easy to just go through that. For example, now if we're not doing well at work because work takes up like 80% of our time then sometimes we feel like oh we're not doing well or we are not like we're not a good person or we're not performing yeah and I think that also stems from a lot of insecurity because we peg our own self-worth to our work or our um, education and how well we're doing I think that shouldn't be the case and how do we inculcate that kind of securability whether it comes from love from your parents whether it comes from the environment that you grew up with how do you actually create the environment that tries to promote that makes your child feel secure about themselves and also yeah about like and know that they are loved almost regardless of the circumstances the one thing that comes to mind about raising a secure child i believe it it starts with having a somewhat secure parent a lot of times this insecurity it stems from that comparison that starts with parents. Children, I believe they are quite a blank slate. Um, as parents, we all have our insecurities. So I'm going to ask you, right? what is perhaps an insecurity you had experienced and how you went about overcoming it? I think for me, insecurity is, I think having the self-worth packed to my studies. Hmm. I wasn't a bad student. I think I was above average student actually, but through my life, I was fortunate enough to get into many of the good schools in Singapore. So even though I was an above-average student in school, I was pretty much counted one of the <laughs> dumbest kids in school. Yeah, and also because I was a sports direct school admission, so I got in through my sports achievements, there were labels in school that people always think that, oh, people who are going through sports are not as bright. So I think that's an insecurity that I had, even though I was good in other aspects. But the Singaporean education just makes, especially at a young age, you always think that, you care about what people think about you a lot. And that insecurity, I guess, came from that. And if you were to ask me how I overcame it, I don't know if I have overcome it. And I think that a lot of these insecurities follow us all the way as we grow up and mm -hmm. even as, into adulthood. Yeah. yeah, so I guess it's trying to cope with it and trying to also tell myself that, yeah, your self-worth is just not all about your job. There's other aspects. There's who you are as a person. Yeah, there's just so many aspects about us and it's not just which role are you in what company are you working for and i think sometimes in our context too much emphasis is placed on that we live in a very brand conscious environment whether that's quite literally the goods you carry or even the companies you work for the titles you have and now as parents mm. what your children carry or where what <laughs> school they go to yep. yeah hopefully that's changing but it's slow and i think like you said there's a lot of things that we carry through a lot of times also not very consciously so it's interesting to hear that. What's perhaps one parenting tip that you heard that perhaps you would accept or reject from your friends, from your peers, from people that you know? 
Okay, it's not really a tip, but I guess it's just something that I learned. Because mm. I think a lot of times I try and pick out, you know, areas that I think are good. Like, I mean, when I look at my own parents or I look at other parents, I sometimes subconsciously try and identify what I think works and what I think doesn't and how I can learn from it. Yeah, so I think something that I really want to try and be conscious about as a parent is not to compare my kid with others. I remember when I was young, we had this dance performance that we put up. And I remember very, very vividly, I was only six years old, but there was a mom that told her kid, can you please dance better? Like, you have to dance, you know, shake uh, and groove as well as her. And the her meant me. Wow. Yeah, so even at six years old, the mom was telling her kid, like, hey, can you buck up and follow her? And I'm like, is that really necessary? Because... That's not a word. Yeah, that's, that's not, not a word. It's just a performance. We're just grooving to the music mindlessly as six-year-olds on the stage. Like, I don't even know what we're dancing. But even that... Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I'm sure she probably is just really happy to be on stage performing for her mom. And her mom is just there telling her to buck up. I hope that I wouldn't be that mom. Yeah, be that parent that always compares my kid, asking her to do better or why is she not as accomplished? Why is she not as good? I hope that I don't go there. But this is a new story that I've never heard before. <laughs> it's really interesting, but it shows, right? How something that happened more than 20 years ago still leaves such a deep impression. And it's almost like you want to focus on things that really matter for your children and not kind of like make everything such, such a big deal out of it. So maybe tell us also, what is one thing that you learned from your parents that you want to take over to being a parent today, right? Because I think, like you said, there's a lot of things that our childhood shaped us. So what is that one thing that you think your parents did really well and you would love to continue almost, so to speak, passing it on to the next generation? I think it's my parents have really sacrificed a lot and... My mom especially, well, my mom was a homemaker, so she quit a job after uh, my younger sister came along. So there was just three of us. And I think something that she did really well was to try and equip us with the best education and environment that we could possibly have, basically to pave the way as much as possible to help us to succeed in the Singaporean context. So in the Singaporean context, schools do matter. Because I think in anywhere, when you, ha- when you go into a, I won't say like bad or good school, but when you go into certain, certain schools have better environments. Yeah, I know this is a very debatable topic, but th- this is just my opinion. Yeah, and when you are surrounded, like company really helps to affect a person's character growing up, especially in um, secondary school years. So I think my mom really helped to to try and find ways for us to get into these secondary schools where there is um, a good education system or like, you know, there is affiliation. And I think that really helps because that helped us to get into better company and just pave the way for us. Even thinking a lot about how we can improve ourselves, making sure that we have the right resources. So we came from middle, slightly upper-class family, but it's not that we had a lot of resources to do whatever we want. So even when it came to tuition, finding the right ones with whatever resources we can, my mom would try her best to to find it for us. I mean, not be the most expensive or hip tuition centre in town, so we never ever went for all those. Doing a lot of research, getting referrals to find us the right teachers that suited us. So all of us actually had really different teachers because we had different learning styles. 
So for me, my learning style was pretty much as it goes, kind. Like, I didn't really like too many tuition teachers. My mom would just hire one tutor, like a generalist tutor, and just teach me math, chemistry, and physics together. And somehow it worked for me because, yeah, I, I just liked that flexibility and it, it adapted to my learning style. But for my sisters, they were really focused in whichever subjects they wanted to focus on. So they had really dedicated teachers that came, let's say, for econs or for English. So I think that was something that my mom did really well in helping us to, to tailor that, you know, different learning styles based on our characters. Yeah, it sounds like she paved the way, but differently, right? It's not just because, let's say, your elder sister had gone a certain path. Therefore, uh, Gladys, you as the second child must definitely go the same path, get the same set of tutors, go through the same courses. Uh, the intentionality behind that, it sounds like that's something that really stood out to you and it was something that you appreciated. But I'm curious, was there times where you felt like it was overbearing and you kind of want to do it your way, like, mom, don't help me? Were there moments like these? Oh, for sure. I mean, especially as a teenager, whatever your parents ask you to do, you don't want to do. So what's one example? Tell us one of the stories. I remember, okay, not even as a teenager, I think when I was in primary school, typical Singaporean family learn piano as a girl, or maybe even a boy since you learn piano, right? Yep. I really hated the piano teacher. <laughs> yeah, I remember I would find all sorts of excuses not to do her work because, especially the theory, because I really love playing the piano, but I hate doing the theory. And to me, as a child, I really hated times when the teacher just forced me to memorize all these Italian terms. Yeah, to me, this doesn't go because I need to understand something. I'm not going to memorize something and put it on a paper. That's why I cannot make it in the Singapore education system. Yeah, I was just really irritated because my mom just kept forcing me to go under this teacher, no matter what. So there was once I acted out and I actually stayed in the toilet when the teacher came and eventually <laughs> they couldn't get me out. The teacher just went home, so I skipped the class. <laughs> Wow, I guess there are all moments like these, especially in growing up. And I guess now as parents, we, we have to get ready. We have to get yeah. ready that this might, might happen to us. Now, I want to shift topics and talk about something that I didn't really get a chance to speak with my other guests with because it's a sensitive topic. But you being my wife, I get all the benefit. How do you view money from the perspective of parenting? My dad likes to say this phrase. He always says it in Chinese, but I'm going to translate it into English. Basically, he's saying that money is not everything, but without money, there's a lot of things that you can't do. Hmm. Which is true, I think, in life and in parenting also. Yeah, so I mean, if I were to just put it, like, come up with an example. So, like, things like tuition, right? I think it's not compulsory that every child should have tuition, but sometimes children need that and having that resource gives you that flexibility and the option to do it and similar for hiring help to take care of kids if you have the resources you're fortunate enough then you have that flexibility to spend money to almost buy time for yourself so i think it's a good resource to have but i wouldn't want to be overly reliant on it mm. yeah i don't want to end up just paying to outsource everything i can Okay, so let's talk a bit about that, right? Paying to outsource. Because there's always one element of you want to outsource the things that just consume your time and energy and just make you so drained. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, sometimes those activities are what help to build memories and relationships. So what is things, for example, that you will not outsource? I don't think it's black and white. For us, we outsource a little bit here and there, right? For you, you always have the outsourcing mindset. So... Yeah, we always debate. We agree to debate on that. So I don't think there's anything that I really wouldn't outsource on. But I would say I 
I'm against outsourcing anything above 50%. Mm. Yeah, I think that would make me uncomfortable because I still want to be present. Right. Yeah. But above 50% for parenting, right? Not not like household chores, for example. Or um, does, does that include that too? Okay, so household chores is interesting because I believe it's also important to do household chores as I would have told you many times. <laughs> yeah, so Tingan believes in outsourcing everything. Where Not everything. Can. Almost. Yeah. yeah. So like for me, I believe that, yeah, I mean, I grew up with a domestic helper in my house. But even though we had that helper, I mean, I'm not, like, we still try and do chores. I mean, like, sometimes, like, small things, like, you know, clearing our plates, putting at the sink. Yeah, even now, I still, we do have helper, but I make sure that not everything is just left to her. So if I eat my own fruits, I cut my own fruits, I wash my own plate, I don't just leave it on the table. Yeah, and I think that's important, especially as parents, because you don't want your children to just think that there is someone to clean up after them. So I think that actually ties in with parenting. Yeah. 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 That idea of that responsibility, right? I remember watching this Facebook video where actually some family designed a sink and a tap that was for their two-year-old toddler. So she would learn how to wash her own dishes from a young age. I don't know whether we can do that because we're living in a rental place, but uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly food for thought on that. And maybe back to the money topic. So I heard your perspective on what it's like for you. How do you want to teach the concept of money or the value of money or some of the principles to Gabby? What are some of those lessons you want her to understand about money? I think she needs to understand the value of money. And that probably comes from a really young age. So honestly, I think it's a struggle because the question I have is how do I teach Gabby the value of money but not make her think that everything has got to do with money? Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I'm explaining it but for example like I can imagine if one day she asked me let's say if she wants to buy a a dollhouse yeah so I've got to explain to her like okay if if her dollhouse is going to cost me $50 how much is this $50? Okay you know mommy and daddy we are working and we have to work for this money and explain to her the value of this but I'm conscious that that might make her just tie everything back to dollars and cents Mm. and I don't want I also hope that doesn't really happen. So it's hard. Yeah, it's almost that balance where she understands the value for money but does not become obsessed yeah, yeah. by it. Well, I guess we have a bit of time to figure that out mm-hmm. as we go along. So to wrap up today's session, Gladys, if there's one lesson you learned as a parent in tech or perhaps just a parent, what is it? I think it's we, we need to be flexible. Yeah, I think flexibility is... Is one because at every stage of a child's life, they are very different. They have different needs and we need to tailor our parenting style. I think in the first probably six months of Gabby, it was just caregiving mode. So I didn't really find myself as a parent. I'm just finding myself, how can I give her sustenance to life, right? And then now as she's starting to, you know, be aware of what's going on, like how do we like, slowly teach her small things, right? Like, what does this mean? What does it mean when you pull someone's hair? No, you can't do that because it's painful. We have to explain to her. Yeah, and then I think there are different, different seasons and we just got to learn. It's almost like a job, right? When, you, when you're when you in a fast-moving industry like tech, every day is different. I mean, yeah, you could almost compare it to a kid. They have different needs at every point in their life. How do we stay adaptable and flexible to be able to identify what they need and also 
learn fast enough how to to help them and nurture them as they grow up. Makes sense, and I like that recognizing the different seasons, the different phases they're in, and being willing and open to change with that. That's also something I am taking to heart and listening, not just as a podcast host, but also as your <laughs> husband. So to wrap up today's session, how can our listeners, especially moms, connect with you? Oh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Gladys Key. Cool. That's all for today. Well, I guess thanks so much for joining me on the Parents in Tech Show, Gladys. Now it's, it's time, time for, for us lunch. to go look. <laughs> exactly. I was gonna say, let's go have lunch. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Tsingen. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback, or suggestion. Once again, the website is www. .parents.fm That's all for this episode folks. See you next time.